Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 107 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in this episode, Jill and I are going to be discussing fire and hiking. Good evening, Jill. (laughs) Good evening, Tim. It's good to be here. Fire is one of those things that we all seem to be drawn to. It seems to warm us when we're cold. It was the main method of cooking since cooking began. And for whatever reason, it creates an emotive reaction in most of us uh, where we just sit and watch it and it can do so for hours. It's very hypnotic, isn't it? It is. So some of my best memories um, are while hiking or camping are those connected with sitting around a fire at the end of the day. On the flip side, fire can be extremely dangerous, causing massive damage to the environment, to property and occasionally loss of life. In this podcast episode, we're going to discuss fire and hiking and looking at the do's and the don'ts to create the best experience we can when dealing with fire on the trail. The first thing we're going to look at is campfires and hiking. So this is fires that we've created deliberately for a reason, as opposed to bushfires, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. So in this instance, we get into camp at night. Uh, the conditions are right. Uh, you know, it's not, not too windy. There's no fire danger. Uh, we decide we're going to go through and create a campfire. Now, I need to own up here and say up front that I will never build a campfire when I'm out hiking as opposed to car camping. Uh, however, if somebody else has one, I'm usually very happy to share the experience. It's very nice to sit around someone else's campfire. <laughs> Now, in most cases, by the time I decide to set up camp for the night, it's usually late. I tend to walk until probably around about half an hour, 40 minutes before dark in most cases. I'm tired. It's late. Um, All I want to do is just uh, set up my gear, have dinner, and usually I'll be in bed asleep around about 6.30, 7 o'clock, depending on the time of the year. Yeah, depending on whether I'm there or not, because uh, for some reason you go to bed a little bit later when I'm around. (laughs) Well, I think I think that's the thing. I think when you uh, when you are hiking, if you're by yourself, and you know, you, you what do you do? You know, but I don't listen to to podcasts on the trail, so I just find that setting up a fire is time consuming, um, and the time consuming process doesn't stop when you decide to go to bed. You need to ensure that any fire you've lit is properly put out, uh, and that you also check it prior to leaving camp the next morning. So let's look at some of the do's and don'ts for for campfires. And I I think probably before we go get into the specifics, one of the things we we need to consider is really should we be lighting fires when we're out hiking? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, it does add to the uh, nighttime ambiance and the getting together and talking about the day. Um, but particularly if you're going to be moving off the next day, there are lots of challenges and issues and um, making sure that the fire is out is quite is one of them. So it is a really difficult one, I think. And I think the other thing as well is, you know, if you look at the, the concept of leave no trace or leave only footprints, 
really it's um, you know, if everybody who camps in a national park decides to light a fire, if they're allowed, um, you know, you, you're potentially going to have a lot of damage. You're going to have a lot of smoke. Um, so the concept of having a fire as opposed to not having a fire is one of those things that you need to decide whether you're going to do or not. Yeah. Uh, and, and I must admit, I don't have an issue with people doing it, providing that it's done the right way. So let's look at the do's and don'ts for campfires. As we mentioned, only use campfires where permitted and when it's safe to do so. Um, in a number of national parks or a number of areas in national parks, fires actually uh, are banned. And I'll give you an example here. Uh, Namaji National Park in Canberra, which is our local national park, uh, part of that also has the Bimbury Wilderness. And it is a wilderness area uh, and fires are banned in that area. And probably the main reason for that is it's, it's such a remote area. Um, there's not a lot of infrastructure. Getting in there is quite difficult. So if a fire gets out of control, it's going to be a very hard task to try and put it out. Uh, and certainly in 2003 in Canberra, uh, we had fires in the Bimbury Wilderness and Namaji National Park get out of control uh, and ended up destroying houses in the city of Canberra. Uh, it was you know, the worst fire the city's ever had. Um, now, that wasn't specifically to do with um, uh, individuals or, or campfires as such, but it was just a, a confluence of conditions that came together to create the perfect fire conditions. Yeah, and in some places like uh, on the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail, there was one campsite where there was a fire pit, uh, but the fire pit wasn't uh, allowed to be used um, all year round. There were certain certain months during the year that it was um, able to be used. So in some circumstances, you will be able to light a fire. In others, it depends on the time of the year. And uh, in other circumstances, you won't at all at any time. So it's something you do need to check. So Check, go through on your, your local parks website, so wherever you plan on going hiking or camping. Check on the website to see that uh, fires are allowed in the areas you're planning on going to. And check to see if the conditions are, go are going to allow the fires. It may be that there's a, a total fire ban or the conditions just aren't right. So even though usually you can have a fire, it might be on the day that you go that you can't have fires. As I said with the Bimbury Wilderness, um, Every time I have gone up there, I've either seen people lighting fires or I've seen examples of fires that have been lit. Larapinta Trail, um, the, uh, no fires allowed on the Larapinta Trail in most areas. I'll put some photos on the, uh, the website of, of a fire site that we came across. Um, and God knows where people got the wood from because there's not a lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of spare fuel in, 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 on a desert trail. But, um, you know, people do light fires. Now, it was really interesting, actually, because there are actually a lot of um, uh, campfire rem remnants on the Larapinta Trail. So, you know, it's interesting that they're mostly not allowed, but there are certainly a lot along the way. And whether it's because people don't realise and think, okay, well, as long as I do it safely, it's okay, or they just don't care. Um, and it's a, it's a hard one to work out sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think most people tend to associate, you're going camping, let's have a fire. Um, if there is a higher fire danger um, or a total fire ban, 
or it's just really windy, uh, you may find that even though it might be legal uh, to have fires, that you know, there is no ban, it, it may not be a good choice. So you may choose not to because of the poor conditions. When you are uh, deciding to set up a fire, make sure that the, your campfire site is away from a, re a reasonably safe distance from the tents. Don't have, you know, walk out straight <laughs> outside your tent and you've got a fire ring just there. You know, you get a wind that comes up and all of a sudden you get sparks blowing onto your expensive tent and burning holes in your tent or or damaging your tent. So you want to have a bit of distance. Um, and and I don't know what it is. Every time I've, I sit by a campfire, the smoke tends to follow me. Um, so, you know, having it close by your tent uh, and the wind changes, all of a sudden you've got, got smoke blowing into your tent. So a bit of distance is not a bad thing. The other thing with choosing the correct distances as well is don't light fire under low-hanging trees uh, because, again, if you get a bit of wind, you get a bit of sparks created, if the fire's a bit big, it can end up going into the canopy of the tree and catching fire. Use an existing fire site or a fire pit as far as possible. So if someone has been to the, the location you're going to before and they've had a fire, use that location again rather than generating another fire area in a different area. Uh, you want to try and minimize your impact as much as you can. So if you've chosen to have a fire, do, one, uh, do it in an area that's not going to create additional impact on the environment. Keep the fire to a reasonable size. We're not talking bonfires here. This shouldn't be something that's, that's, that's shooting flames six or seven metres into the into the air. That's, yeah. that's getting a bit excessive. It shouldn't take you half the afternoon to put the timber together <laughs> either. <laughs> so, yeah, it just wants to be something small enough to cook on if that's what you're going to be doing uh, or something to create a bit of warmth or a bit of atmosphere. Um, you'll find the, the other thing as well is um, over Easter this year, I... Uh, I did the Kyandra to Tharwa walk, uh, and the first hut, um, which is which was Witz's hut, um, they actually had um, a fire pit out the back of the hut. They had bow saws to cut timber from the fallen logs, um, but I had a look around the area, and most of the the the, tre the dead trees and the logs that were around were they were sort of thirty or forty or fifty meters away from the hut. Because people are obviously they want to collect the wood as close as they possibly can, so collecting wood meant a bit of a walk to actually go through and pick it up. Um, so you, you don't want to denude the entire area, and they remember that wildlife tends to uh, to live in a lot of these dead trees and and tree falls. So it's you don't want to remove the the habitat for a lot of the wildlife either. The other thing I'd say is let's talk about rocks, and this is to rock or not to rock. You'll see various recommendations on various websites about building rock rings uh, to form a contained area. And the advantage of doing that is it, it, it'll help keep the wind out of uh, the fire uh, and help keep the fire contained. Uh, it means you're less likely to accidentally step into it if you're not paying attention because the rocks act as a bit of a barrier. The thing with building rock rings, though, is it does impact on the environment. And if you go through and start collecting rocks from all over the place, again, you're disturbing the environment, which is a, something you'd prefer not to do. Um, but it's the other issue tends to be is where the rocks come from. Uh, and under no circumstance do you want to use rocks that have come out of a, a river or a creek or just off the edge of a river or a creek. 
uh, because the chances are they've been in water or underwater fairly recently. And you get these nice, smooth, round river rocks that people tend to use when they landscape, uh, and, you know, and they're nice and easy to pick up and collect. Um, and if you've ever gone through and used these as a fire pit or a fire ring, um, the thing you will find is they tend to explode. <laughs> Uh, mm. And I've I've talked to uh, some of my colleagues at work. Um, she was saying that she had a fire on a recent hike. Uh, she collected some rocks, again, out of the river or close by a river. Uh, and she said she remembered her father telling her uh, as a child, you know, don't use don't river do rocks. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, and she said she had a rock explode. Now, if you're far enough away from the fire, it's normally not an issue. But if you happen to be bending down to collect your your, your cooking that you're doing mm. or adding fuel to the fire and one of these rocks physically explodes and shatters rock everywhere, you can end up injuring yourself. Yeah, and you won't be able to feel the moisture in the in the rock. They probably feel reasonably dry, but the centre isn't. And um, even if there's been a bit of rain and and now it's clear and sunny, that might be a bit deceiving too. That you you end up with a, a rock with a containing a bit of moisture that's going to explode. And I, and I have seen river rocks that have been out of the water for a, a couple of months still do that. So they take a long time for the moisture to disappear out of them. Finally, if you're going through and starting a fire, it's I suppose the process is slow and steady. Don't use liquid fuels. Now, typically, if I'm camping, I'm not carrying liquid fuels, but you may find that using kerosene or using one of the the, uh, the liquid fuel stoves and you've got a bit of kerosene, you think, oh, look, I'll add a bit of uh, – the wood's a bit wet, so I'll add a bit of a bit of kero or, uh, to Whoosh. the fire. Yeah, <laughs> and it tends to go up. Um, and it, it's very easy for a fire to get out of control, particularly during the drier parts of the year. Um I must own up here. I can remember as a child, that's exactly what I did. I uh, put a bit of kerosene on a fire to get it going and someone basically crash tackled me and I couldn't work out what was going on and I'd spilled kerosene on my hand and my hand was actually alight. Um, yeah, he, he picked it up fairly quickly, uh, but I still managed to burn my hand. Um, so it's, you know, Using accelerants uh, like kerosene or petrol uh, for a fire is not a good option. Um, you know, starting it off nice and slow, uh, using a lighter or a fire starter uh, of some sort or matches to start a fire in a nice controlled manner is definitely the way you want to do it. Now, the final thing is fire shouldn't be left unattended. So this means if you decide you're going to go and have a swim down by a river and you're going a couple hundred metres away, don't leave the fire burning uncontrolled because you know, if it does get out of control, the wind comes up, you can end up starting a bushfire. And a lot of the bushfires in Australia are started by people, either deliberately or accidentally, when uh, they've either tried to start a fire to, to cause a bushfire or they've accidentally had a fire get out of control on them. The other thing is, um, and I didn't realise this, but it actually takes quite a bit of effort to put a fire, a campfire out when you're in the bush. It does depend on the terrain and um, uh, obviously the dryness of the soil and so on. Um, but but a, a campfire can look as if it's out, but it can quietly and invisibly smoulder um, for some time after you've decided that it was all 
done and dusted. And that you, you can actually get areas of soil that are very peaty. So some of the, um, the World Heritage areas in Tasmania, the soil is very peat-based. Um, I've got areas in, uh, in, in parts of Namaji National Park that are the same. They've got peat. Uh, now, you, 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 you tend to notice you're on a spongy area, but in the middle of a drought, if you're not paying attention, you're putting a fire on top of, this, of what essentially is a fuel source. And peat fires, peat bogs, when they go up, they take a long time to put out and can smolder for, for a long time. Um, so you, know, you want to make sure you've got a, a good solid base to, to work with. Um, so when you go to bed, put your campfire out. Um, and if you are heading off in the morning, check to make sure that's what's happened. Um, water is the best option for putting fires out. Um, but if you've got sand or soil and that's the only option, you can use that. But the sand and soil can actually retain a lot of heat and can take a long time to cool down. So if you are putting a fire out with sand or soil, do it at night time and then check in the morning, turn the, turn the soil over to make sure that it is, has cooled down and don't just walk away and leave it because, again, if in the right conditions, it could potentially start back up again. Yeah, I do think that, that using some water is probably the best option. Um, and you know, not being uh, not being stingy with it either. Now, I'm not going to go into the extent of starting a fire. There are plenty of how-to YouTube videos on how <laughs> helpful uh, guides on how to create a fire. How to create a fire. Um, if you know how to do it, you've done it. It tends to be a skill you tend not to forget. Um, if you haven't done it. Um, have a try at some stage, but do it in a nice controlled manner in an area where you know, you're not going to let it get out of control. Um, as I said, for us, um, I can start a fire, but I, is this something that I choose not to do? Yeah, me too. And I must admit that I, I something that um, I really don't think of doing, uh, particularly when we're out on um, you know long hikes, and uh, uh, you know perhaps it's it's something to do when you get closer to town and you might be camping at uh, somewhere a little bit more structured and a little bit more ordered but um, when we're out in the middle of the bush I don't feel a need to put a you know to put a fire together. Uh, and just just a, a story I'll relay here as I said over Easter uh, when I did my hike um, I on the second night I was coming into coming close to where my campsite was and I could smell smoke and it was reasonably strong, uh, and it actually that actually concerned me because the park service had been burning off uh, deliberately the week before, and I'm thinking this is smelling like a, a fresh fire, not something that was from a week ago, and it was it was blowing in my direction. And while I had gone through and checked, I checked the fire the rural fire service, and I checked the national park, and I knew that there were no fires in the area, and the burning off had been completed for that time period. Um, and I was, but I was getting a bit worried that maybe this was something that what that people weren't aware of, and I was walking straight into it. Um, and I think, um, you know, we're going to talk about bushfires in a moment, but I think in that case, I came into the campsite and realised that um, a woman was actually cooking. And again, this was in an area where fires were banned, um, and it was only because I sort of smelt. I think it was um, rosemary was in the fire. I think okay, <laughs> someone someone's actually cooking. That I thought okay, it's you know, not a good move to have a fire here, but at least it wasn't an out of control fire. But it did worry me. So that does bring us on to the bushfires. 
Now, Australia, like other countries in the world, has a reputation for serious bushfires. I think certainly Spain, Australia, and uh, uh, particularly areas in, in the USA, like California, are well known for, for having regular uh, serious bushfires. Raging, absolutely raging bushfires. Now, in some areas, hiking trails will be closed during the peak fire season. So the Hyson Trail or the Hayson Trail, depending on your pronunciation in South Australia, is actually closed uh, over the height of summer uh, due to the risk of fire being spread by people uh, uh, lighting fires or people getting caught accidentally in fires that is created naturally. Um, and there are other areas as well, other trails as well, where they'll be closed off because of this. So regardless of the time of the year, or for that matter, the location, you should always check the prevailing conditions for your intended hiking site. Yeah, and I think make sure, get in the habit of um, going to the, if you're hiking in a national park, going into the the national park website and checking out what's happening uh, in that local area. Now, before you bushwalk, there's this comes back to the whole concept of planning, and we've mentioned this a number of times. We've done a podcast on planning, uh, and really this is a matter of reinforcing this. So if it is, in particular, if it's a an area where you're concerned about bushfires or it's bushfire season, the thing you always want to do is let someone know your plans and your expected return time. Check the fire danger ratings and the bushfire alerts for your intended hiking areas. And this will vary in different parts of the state. So it might be the area close to where you're going is a high fire danger area, but an area 50 or 60 kilometers away might be quite fine. It's going to depend on a number of factors like the terrain, uh, the fuel loads, any number of things that will impact. Now, most states will have fire warning uh, through the Rural Fire Service or the National Parks website. Um, there's also a smartphone app, which is New South Wales-based, called Fires Near Me. Uh, and it actually, uh, in having a look at for this uh, podcast, I have had a look at the app and it had, uh, had flagged up fires that were, in fact, even though it was a New South Wales app, it was showing fires all over Australia. I wouldn't necessarily rely on it being wonderful for Western Australia, but it had good information for Tasmania, Victoria, uh, Queensland and New South Wales. That's so, fantastic. Isn't that uh, great? So I'll put the link up to that and I'll do a review of that over the next few days uh, just so people can download that. It's a, it's a good app. Um, check the weather conditions at the Bureau of Meteorology. Now, I say the Bureau of Meteorology as opposed to just the General Weather Service. Just about any app you're going to use in Australia will draw their, their information from the Bureau of Meteorology. Um, I think the BOM website um, can be a bit technical sometimes and not very user-friendly, but certainly the information is pretty accurate and you can go and have a look at uh, local fire warnings for your particular area uh, and see whether there's any issues. Um, so it's worthwhile checking that. Check whether there's a total fire ban in place, which means that if you are planning on going hiking, you're not going to be cooking dinner if that's the case. And, and as Jill said, when we did the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail a couple of Christmases ago, we actually had a total fire ban. And this total, total. Yeah, <laughs> this this wasn't just a, a naked flames. This was fuel stoves, including including the jet boils. It was like, no, you're not lighting anything. 
um, because the risk of fire was so great, uh, even from um, any, even from a, a canister stove fire, mm-hmm. that they said no, not going to happen. I wouldn't recommend eating dehydrated food, rehydrated cold. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it it was it, hard going. <laughs> it, it just doesn't. Yeah, we we have to try it once, but it doesn't doesn't have the same same effect. It was only one the, night wasn't for, it? for a nice warm meal. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it was one night. So we we managed to eat dinner, and, and then we came back down to the kitchen area, and the band had gone up for the next twenty four hours. Check if there are fires in your area, as well as the direction they're traveling. So. You're never going to be able to outrun a bushfire. I mean, the fire just travels too fast, particularly coming uphill. It can, it's, it's going to run faster than you can you can run and probably drive for that matter. Um, but the direction of fires, you might be saying, well, okay, the fires are currently traveling away from me. I'm safe. It's not a problem. But if the wind changes and all of a sudden the flyers are blowing in a totally different direction that you hadn't expected. So I think if if, the, if you're in an area, um, and, and I'll probably use as an example here, Western Australia, uh, most of you are aware that I hiked the Bibbulmun Track last year uh, and I was keeping a very close eye on the, the fire conditions the previous summer. Um, they seem to almost lose one of their huts every year. Um, this year, for the first time in a number of years, I don't think any of the huts burnt down, um, but that's probably less common than, than not. Um, but there was actually a guy that was out hiking during the middle of the fire season, um, and it was just by sheer luck. There was a helicopter checking on the fire conditions that they saw someone there. They managed to collect him within about 10 minutes of the fire going through and burning down the Helena hut. Now, that's something you don't want to have happen, and it was a bit of a sheer luck that um, there was a helicopter there to pull this person out. Otherwise, there would have been a good chance he wouldn't have got through that process. So it may be that you think, okay, well, the fires are 20 kilometres away. I'm just not going to risk it. Um, I'll go somewhere else or I'll decide not to hike. And that's a decision that you need to make as part of the planning process, whether you're going to hike or not. Now, if you are going to hike and um, it is a fire danger or there's potentially danger from fires, even if it's not close, it's more of a reason to carry an emergency beacon um, as well as a mobile phone. Jill and I hike in a lot of areas where we don't have phone signal, um, so we tend to carry a either an emergency beacon or a personal locator beacon or carry one of the two main communicator devices, which also act as emergency beacons as well. Now, the thing to remember here, uh, with if you ever have to set off a beacon, setting off a beacon is not a guarantee that someone is going to come and collect you in five minutes' time. Um, <laughs> yeah, you may find that um, if a beacon is set off and you're 30 or 40 or 50 kilometres away from the nearest, uh, nearest city, and a lot of our hiking... Um, the, the rescue helicopter is probably about 60, at least 60 kilometers away. Um, so even if we were to set it off uh, and they were, it was, the helicopter was to take off immediately and come out and get us, it's probably going to be half an hour before it reaches there by the time it takes off and gets to us. Um, it may be that they're tied up dealing with somebody else. Uh, and you might be the next person they're going to deal with. Uh, so don't expect just because you've set a beacon off 
that something is going to happen instantly. It can take a while. So you need to be prepared and need to have plans in place for what you're going to do if you're basically being caught up in a fire situation. So that's the thing, isn't it? Because you have to expect that if you need to be rescued, then there will be a delay and you have to plan uh what's going to happen in the next hour, two hours, because or more might might be longer than that before someone comes and, and helps you. Now, again, it depends on what, what's going on at the time, but I think if, if they pick up a signal and they know there's a bushfire where that area is, they would probably respond reasonably quickly, but it does depend. I um, mean, the rescue helicopter in Canberra covers quite a big area, uh, not just in the immediate area of Canberra. And if it's already gone to, to deal with a, a life-threatening situation somewhere else, they may not be able to get to you as quickly as you, you'd like. So if you are out hiking and you find that there's a fire approaching, I suppose the first thing you want to look at is turn back if it's safe to do so. Um, now, it may not be. It may be that the fire is coming from that direction uh, and you've just got to respond to that. Uh, and there's steps to deal with this, and this is uh, I'll put some resources from some of the local state fire services on the uh, the show notes and on the written version of this podcast. But the steps really are: firstly, don't panic, because clear thinking is is what's needed if you're caught into a, caught in a fire. Don't try and outrun the fire, because it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, if there are strong winds, the fire is going to be moving very quickly. Find a cleared area with rocks hollows or embankments uh, on riverbeds, streams or roads to help protect you, and avoid hilltops. So again, if fire is blowing uphill, it will race uphill very quickly. And um, you you may find that being on the downhill side is certainly the place you want to be, but again, not in the direction the fire is moving. Keep low to the ground and have your skin covered. Now, for me, the majority of my hiking, I've got long pants on, and long sleeve. I tend to prefer natural uh, uh, fibers like merino, uh, but you know, a lot of um, hiking pans tend to be, uh, will have some sort of synthetic materials in it. You're getting polypropylene um, uh, type of um, uh, garments these days, but natural fibers tend to be better if you've got an option in a fire. Yeah, so what you'd need to do is, uh, particularly if you've got a, um, uh, a multi-day or overnight hike happening and you've got a bit of gear, dig, dig out all the natural fibres and put those on and um, you might look a little bit odd um, in perhaps uh, wearing some long johns when it's the middle of uh, summer, but if they're the wool things that you've got to wear, then put those on. What you wouldn't want to put on is your, is your plastic-based rain jacket. <laughs> uh, not going to be a good option. Uh, drink water and cover your mouth with a damp cloth. Uh, And if you can, let someone know what's happening. So, you know, maybe you have set off the beacon, uh, but, you know, if you've got the ability to um, send a text message uh, either by satellite uh, with the two-way communicators or by phone to say, look, I've set the beacon off, I'm caught in the fire, this is what I'm having to do, um, it provides a bit more information if if you're expecting help to turn up. So... That's just the, the basics of fire and hiking. And, and as we've said, there's some pluses and minuses here. Having a campfire, it can be really good if that's what you want to do. Uh, but as I said, both Jill and I will tend not to light fires, not when we're hiking. 
um, car camping, different situation, or if someone else has lit a fire, definitely happy to join in, but it's not something we'll generally do ourselves. And I think the other thing to um, highlight is that, you know, we, we obviously are aware, particularly in Australia, of the danger of fire during hot uh, periods, so summer um, or the shoulder seasons, um, but that's not necessarily the only time we should be alert because you can actually have fires during winter too, so don't assume that uh, a winter fire is a safe time. Okay, so that's all for fire on the trail. Okay, so the next of our regular segments is our five-star iTunes reviews, and we haven't done this for a few weeks. Uh, We've just had some longer podcasts, so we try not to uh, make them too long where we can. Um, So we've got four reviews today, um, and the first is from Zeranor Z. who is also uh, titled Just Beginning. Uh, And the review is, began hiking more seriously two months ago and lessons from people that are experienced in the art are a blessing. This episode is a good indication of what to expect as beginners travel uh, takes them further. And the next one we have is from Air Briz, uh, also Creaky Bones 52. (laughs) I love this podcast. Great insights and info share on Australian hiking. Appreciate Tim's dodgy knees and their mentions of light stretching as considerations for any hike. 10-minute stretches before and after each hike makes day five hikes so much easier. And from Newbie Review, I've listened to the whole back catalogue of podcasts and love the format, the music, the content and the reassurance from Jill and Tim about getting started with hiking. Also, I enjoyed uh, Jill and Tim's banter, probably my favourite thing. (laughs) Uh, Keep up the great work, guys. I bet a lot of work goes into every episode. Cheers, Nicole H. from Southwest Western Australia. And the last one we have is Donks84, headed great podcast. Thanks for this fantastic Australian-related podcast. There is so much American content but little Australian, so I really enjoy listening to this as a new hiker. Great work. I have listened to the whole back catalogue. That's all for this episode. Just a reminder that apart from our website, which you can find at www.australianhiker.com.au, Australia Hiker can also be found on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, and we are currently just starting to ramp up and develop our YouTube site. So keep an eye on that in the coming 12 months. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it out in an upcoming episode. Now, next week, we'll be releasing podcast episode 108, which is one of our bonus episodes or a bonus episode for May. And this is a really exciting one. This is a big one. And this is actually with Lucy Barnard. Um, from Tangles and Tales, um, who's an Australian, in fact, a a Canberra-based Australian, so she's a local from my perspective, as she makes her attempt to be the first woman to walk the length of the world, so from the tip of South America all the way through to the top of North America. This is an episode not to be missed. That's all from me. Bye for now. And bye from me.